0: Libros Schmibros is a podcast exploring the people, books, movies, and ideas that Angelenos care about in a thoughtful way that even New Yorkers can understand. We're coming to you from Libros Schmibros, our nonprofit bilingual lending library in Boyle Heights on the west coast of the country and the east bank of the mighty Los Angeles River.
1: All right. So welcome, everybody, to the Libros Schmibros exclusive interview with author Caribbean Fragosa El Montien, Caribbean Fragosa. I'm your host, Vicky Bertiz. Um, Also living east of the the Los Angeles stream (laughs) from the places, hailing from the places that you don't think about when you think about LA. Uh, So yay, welcome, Caribbean.
2: Thank you, thank you, Vicky. Hi, everybody, I'm happy to be here. Thank you, Libros Mibros, for this opportunity.
1: Uh, And I mean, opportunity. Eh, Gary, your book has been reviewed in the New York Times. Um, You just got to do this really cool live event with Las Fotos Project here in Los Angeles. How's it been to have this book debut in this way? Eat the Mouth That Feeds You from City Lights.
2: Yeah, it's been wild in in all the thrilling ways and unexpected ways. I I didn't know what it was gonna be like. This is my first book. This is my debut book, a fiction. And um, I have another book called East of East about El Monte, but it's a totally different book, totally different experience. And then we're on hopefully the tail end of pandemic. And I had no idea what it was going to be like to publish during this weird, crazy time, but it's just exceeded my dreams. I mean, I just wanted to, I just wanted the book to live out in the world and now it's grown its own legs and arms and it's just like doing its own thing out in the world and i'm i'm blessed i'm super excited for it yeah i mean I, so
1: so the way that we so first of all like all the kudos all the time like yes like i really love and i got to read this book before it went to to the final press and so without some stories that Um, are there now and just really loved and was grateful for and I think we're we're thirsty for uh goth stories or takes on existence especially as like femmes and women um of Mexican descent of working class backgrounds um and so I I just feel like there's a, a a niche that your book is really fulfilling that isn't just about what some um mexican-american literature does is is like maybe only revere the mother but then doesn't ask her what it's like to be her Mm -hmm. i feel like your book looks at femininity or um or womanhood in a really particular way that is from that point of view of of critique and analysis and like really thinking about what the effects of, of patriarchy and misogyny are on our daily lives and um And beyond that, resilience and resistance through it um, um, and these really powerful characters. So we're going to begin with you reading from, speaking of which, from Lumberjack Mom, which I just,
2: Mm -hmm. (laughs) such a great story. Um, So yeah, whenever you're ready. Okay. And yes, I just want to acknowledge that I don't know if this book would exist without you, Vicky. Like, that is just like a fact because it made all the difference to me that you read it and that... You saw a book there where I didn't know I had one. And so I just wanted to say that that I'm thankful for you.
1: Igualmente, <laughs> igualmente, there. I feel like so blessed for our for our connection. Like and you and you were the one who helped me see that I could talk about my community at KCET um of Southeast LA. And I feel like that's been a revelation. So just equally grateful to you for that.
2: So I'm gonna read um, just a little part from Lumberjack Mom, which is the first story in the collection, Eat the Mouth That Feeds You. Um, So I'll just read a few minutes and I'm wondering if there's anything that you all should know. Um, I think I'm just gonna jump in and you'll get what you need from that little excerpt. That spring, when the dormant roots and seeds started sprouting, And our father stopped coming home our mother took to the backyard with fervent urgency overnight it seemed vegetation had burst through the cracks split the tile and cement broken through the clay pots and tin cans grass spilled over the hedges with a despicable gusto one morning my brother and i woke up To find our breakfast already cold on the kitchen counter, and our mother at work in the backyard, crawling on her hands and knees, clawing out wood, clawing out odd weeds with tiny flowers we'd never seen before, that now burgeons in tenacious clusters throughout the lawn. She dedicated hours to these new invaders, ripping them out from the grass like clumps of hair, fistfuls of roots dangling dirt and squirming worms like freshly torn scalps still steaming. Our mother's face sweated and twisted under the sun. We watched her silently from the bathroom window, heads butted together. We called our sister. We heard our sister call out from another window. Mom, are you okay? Yes, mija, it's just hot, she answered, wiping the sweat with the back of her bare hand. The next day, we noticed she'd pulled out some gardening tools, small hose and some shears that she sharpened with the rock. We recognized the hand-sized volcanic slab from our grandmother's house in Guadalajara from before she passed away. One of her prized possessions, our grandmother had used it to sharpen our... her knives and shears sitting alone and in silence at the head of the table. My brother and I would sit in front of the TV and pretend not to watch her. She'd then retreat into the kitchen with her knives to perform mysterious domestic acts. Our mother used her freshly sharpened tools to cut up the thick roots of unidentified plants that seemed to be waiting for the right time to reveal themselves she wasn't going to give them a chance eventually we noticed that her favorite tool was a set of narrow nosed pliers that she'd stab into the ground to extract even the most reluctant root roots she'd have to pull very hard sometimes using both hands and the weight of her small body often it was the thin spidery roots that were the most persistent and dug themselves in the deepest Our mother, however, was very thorough, for any remnant would have sabotaged everything. As the days passed, we watched her rove through the garden, flowerbed to flowerbed, potted plant to potted plant, and then cycled back methodically to rip out the invasive flower clusters that resurfaced in the grass. When she arrived at the lime trees jagged shadow, she immediately got up off her hands and knees I thought she might have hunched after spending so much time curled over the ground or that she might need to steady her head if it was spinning with blood, having been bent low beneath the sun. But she stood straight up before the lime tree as if measuring her height against it. She seemed taller than usual as if she had height stored inside of her for certain occasions. Um, I wanted to read more, but I want to, you know, I want to keep uh, an eye on our time. So I'll pause there.
1: Yes. And I think people want to know what's going to happen with the lime tree. Yeah. With the <laughs> axe-wielding parent. Um, you know, I feel like um, I think of Alice Walker's In Search of Our Mother's Gardens, right, as a way to think about the garden as a place that's living and like an embodiment of both um joy and bring beauty to life, but also getting out the things that you need to uproot, right? So it makes me think of this story very much and, and, and just my, my own mother's life, right? So, so many metaphors happening there. That's such a great story. I feel like that's one of the hearts, the hearts of this book. Um, yeah. Um, you know, um, which I'm curious, you know, I, I, I know, I shared some questions with you, but I'm curious, like, which stories came, more easily and which ones took some digging to
2: get to? Mm -hmm. The one that came out the most easily is uh, Eat the Mouth That Feeds You, which is the title of the book. Um, It's a short story that I wrote um, on a prompt. I was prompted to write the story by Janice Lee and Laura Vena in 2010, I think. And, um, And they said, Eat the Mouth That Feeds You, write something, present something. And then I sat down, I was just a couple months pregnant with my first baby with Auda, <laughs> And I was kind of freaking out a little bit or a lot. And um, I just was thinking about what it meant to have a body inside of your body, literally feeding off of you. And continuously feed off of you basically for the rest of their lives and and then also my grandmother and my great-grandmother had just passed away and I was just trying to feel like my place in the line of family in in my in my bloodline and so I just sat down to write it and it just basically all gushed out it just poured out almost entirely in one sitting and I've changed very little since I first sat down to write it, so that was the first one that really came easily. And there's other stories that took years and years to write. Like Vicious Ladies uh, took years, uh, many like five, six. I don't know. It took a long time. So um, all the stories are kind of different in that way. Some of them just came right out with the life of their own, and then some of them uh, was a real. Some of them were real journeys on their own.
1: Yeah, and I think like sometimes that can be confusing to people who are thinking about becoming writers or just or just writing, period, right? Like maybe you're not like, oh, I want a career, <laughs> but you're like, I think I want to write stuff down, but then you think that, that writing is maybe different than what it is. Like w- when you were having a hard time writing something, what did that look like for you and what, what strategies did you use
2: to get through the hard
1: parts and to keep going?
2: Yeah, so the hard parts, um, there's different reasons why we don't finish the story. Sometimes we don't have the, the skill sets yet. Sometimes we're still growing and we're still learning um, how to do the things that we want intuitively to do and we, we're just not ready yet. And so I keep everything. I write things and, uh, and then I get stuck. And then when I get stuck, for whatever reason, I'll set it aside and then come back to it. Sometimes I come back to it a few days later. Sometimes it's a couple years later. It depends. And then when I return to it, hopefully I'll have a new skill or something else that I read that has prepared me in certain ways to to be able to achieve the thing that I'm sort of feeling or intuiting in my body that I want to write out. Um, So... Like I said, sometimes it just takes, sometimes you just have to learn more to do the thing that you want to do. Um, and, and you just don't let go. Like, don't let go. Like, check in with the little pieces that are still alive for you. The parts of your story that still speak to you and then um, check in with them and then carry them forward to become the things they need to be. Yeah.
1: Like, Juan Felipe calls it, like, you have to love all the little the little stories or all the little poems, um, as also a way of having compassion for like the things that you first started writing, mm-hmm. right, and then kind of embracing them and and not, and you can well, moving on, but also taking them in as part of the journey of learning the craft of writing, which I think is really different. I think for a lot of us, but it can feel mysterious and daunting, and like you know, it never ends. Um, I was uh, recently uh, listened to a conversation between Sri Moraga and uh, Maria Hinojosa about um, her, like the, the, the obstacles of writing or that writing presents. And what they said was like, I'm still terrified when I'm writing. And I asked a question in the, in the YouTube chat. I was like, so how do you get over it? They're like, I write anyway. And I was like, okay, okay. So there's a tip, folks. <laughs> like, yeah, just do it. Yeah, we're all terrified. We all don't think we know what we're doing, even though we've been doing it forever, or maybe we just started. So it's, you're not alone in that, and you just have to keep going.
2: Yeah, and, like, it's true. It's going to be scary, and just just know that, and kind of hold it, and it's okay, and just keep keep going, keep yeah, going. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> keep <joking.
1: laughs> Um, So um, I'm going to introduce folks to um, your other books later on in our conversation, but um, I did want to show folks links to this, uh, other bro- book project that you mentioned. So i will share my screen in a moment. So first I wanted to start with, um, this, um, K through 12 is this really beautiful chat book that you wrote on kind of like the speaker's education. And, uh, it, you know, it's a, it's a beautiful chat book that's available through, um, Yohippus labs, and and I'll click over to, to show that in a second, but there's an excerpt I wanted you to read. It's just what's on the website. Do you see that?
2: The, yeah, there's a couple of them. You want me to read that one? Yes, please. Oh, yeah. Sometimes it's hard to know when the city is burning and when it's just the sun setting the sky in flames. Either way, every day, the air is always like fire when you breathe it in running around the field at school during P.E., feeling your heart ablaze with smog and flaming hot Cheetos. <laughs> ah, that fire, that burn. <laughs> you can
1: totally, you're like, yes, I feel like my insides is just flaming mm-hmm. up with <laughs> chili and um, lemon. Um, I love this excerpt because I feel like it captures the heart of the voice of this book, which is young, very observant, and is just like, opens up the world of the the los angeles imaginary that we all actually live in and i will recast that statement which is in which a lot of latinx and immigrant and working class people live in Mm -hmm. right so like the having to be outside in your public school in pe even though it's like 108 and you still have to run your mile and what you had for lunch was slaving hot chicos, right yeah or your finance right because that's what's Mm -hmm. around um looking at your book now eat the mouth that feeds you and thinking about k through 12 what relationships do you see between them any at all
2: yeah i mean definitely like that observant young voice is important to me like the observations of young people are treasures they're just gems and um I've always really made it a point K through 12 without saying too too much about it is uh, was really like an exercise to um just put down on the page all of my observations and memories of every single grade K through 12 so there's literally like K through 12 ch- number of chapters and um these are like little observations that don't seem significant like who cares what you had for lunch in the seventh grade but to us it it does matter and so I feel like those are like like you were saying about Juan Felipe like honoring the small poems like maybe they're small but they they matter and they're important parts of your journey and your growth and so those observations that I was making as a young person have stayed with me and have really helped me um right eat the mouth that feeds you and hopefully we'll continue to feed the books that I write in the future
1: mm, yeah that like the young observational voice it's like that little part of us that you know had all these thoughts or ideas and wasn't sure like who else might care about them but we wrote them in our in our composition of books which of course I have handy mm-hmm. <laughs> right here like the old version and i also have our um our publication heaven knows i'm miserable now <laughs> oh, right. our our, our, our morrissey smith's collaboration yes and here's a vintage composition notebook of which i'm sure you all also <gasps> mm-hmm. wrote in little vicky's handwriting oh i love it <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah we really have to like care for those little younger parts of ourselves but but one of the questions i wanted to ask you was what what um when did you first realize that you could be an artist, right? And then what would you say to folks at any age who may
2: be wondering if they should write or make art? Uh, okay, so when did I realize, we'll take it part but by that part. That- when did I realize that I could be an artist? Um, I always wanted to be an artist. I don't know when that moment was. Well, actually that's not true. I think it was in middle school. I had been writing and drawing all my life. I remember being very, very young, like kinder, preschool, drawing, and then eventually writing. But I think it was in seventh grade that I told my teacher, I remember going to her class and saying, I know what I want to be when I grow up. I want to be an artist. And she said, oh, that's great. Um, You know, there's not a lot of money in art. Uh, Maybe you should, maybe you should be a writer. You're really good at writing. And I thought, okay i'll be a writer but she didn't tell me there's not a whole lot of money in writing for the most part either so hello and that was like a chamflet that didn't work out so.
1: <laughs> but, um, yeah but that's but that's great that she that she in her mind she was like you know art maybe not so much about writing that's where the cash is you're like okay <laughs> okay i'll do that so but that's the influence of our teachers, right? That she, like, redirected you still to art, but to something that might have been more, you know, uh, uh, profitable.
2: <laughs> In some ways, <laughs> yeah.
1: Yeah. Um, and then, so what would you say to, to, so maybe you're the teacher now, and somebody's coming up to you, and they're like, you know, I said I think I want to I wanna make art. Like, what would you say to them?
2: Yeah. yeah. Well, yes, keep doing it. Do it um and i think it's a journey for me at least where you really i mean this sounds so cliche and it's going to sound like weird to say it but like to think outside the box like the journey that you're going to have as an artist is not one that is already laid out for you it's not like going to law school or med school or whatever where you you know A, B, C, one, two, three, you follow the dots, and you get to the destination. Like, it's not like that. And the journey that you're going to have and need to have is not necessarily one that's been had before. So don't expect it to be modeled. I mean, hopefully, there will be parts that will have been modeled for you already that you can learn from, hopefully. Uh, But not all of it. So you're going to have to be really um inventive and creative in how you create that journey for yourself so um you know if you're ready for adventure this is the life for you <laughs> <laughs>
1: i'm writing it down in my in my little girl notebook Aww. because it's here one it's the closest thing but also like to, as a reminder of like the the journey that you need to have is not already laid out like you're gonna yeah. have to find it um and that that there's like a trust that you have to have in yourself and your higher power in just that that making things is important to you and that you can't not do it and that you'll find a way to continue to 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 think about or make things about the things that concern you or that you love and that you want to elevate and highlight and and like nurture Right. Yeah. So I think one thing that your our writing has in common is that we're like really trying to center these um our younger selves, but also those relatives of ours, neighbors of ours who who wouldn't necessarily have the, the platform and not as a way to like give people voice because they have their own voices, but to like have the have the platform set the stage for people to speak for themselves.
2: Totally. Yeah. yeah.
1: Um, so speaking of community, right, you have this like, incredible community arts practice, and that's actually how I met you through the uh, South El Monte Arts Posse and your work in that um, through Sachu Foster. And um, you ended up making this really beautiful book, which I'll also show, um, East of East, and we won't spend a ton of time on it because we want to talk about Eat the Mouth. but. You know, le haces? you write poetry, you write fiction, you do this work, your community arts practice, um, you know, Rutgers put out this book like what, how did you manage it like what, what were some highlights for you about this journey.
2: Yeah, I think for me it always comes back to like a kind of devotion or loyalty to storytelling. And storytelling can look like fiction and short story form or other longer form or it can look like an essay. And so, for example, here I wrote an essay about, well, I have a couple of them, but I wrote about um, this like teatro movement, and art movement that had started during uh, the Chicano movement in El Monte that nobody knew about. And I felt like there was, there was a beautiful story, multiple beautiful stories there that I just really wanted to tell. And the way they needed to be told was an essay form and I needed to interview people. And the stories were already, they were already there. All I had to do was sort of help them out into the world uh, in essay form. There was no fiction that I needed to perform here. Surely I draw from elements of fiction and storytelling to build these pieces, but I'm just really like devoted to telling stories that don't get told. And so the stories of El Monte and South El Monte the San Gabriel Valley, I feel like uh, don't get told enough and they're just there, like we, it, it, they're just there. And so I just kind of offer myself as a as a way to, to elevate them.
1: Yeah, and it was a long time coming and making that book. It was many years in the making, if not lifetimes, right? So it's like, yeah. the, contrib- the contributors include Wendy Chang, who's this incredible scholar on the San Gabriel Valley, but also Alex Espinosa, Michael Jaime Becerra, Tony Plummer. And um, other folks, I, so yeah. So I just want to. Um, I'm I'm a little bit of a luddite when it comes to Zoom. So I in the chat I put a link to where you can get East of East, and also I'll put in a link for K through twelve. But because I think people need to know about your the body of your work as a community arts practitioner, but also as a poet, also as an educator, and like a and someone who's again, like you said, to like it bases her her craft and the storytelling of of stories that need to be told that haven't been heard enough. Um, So yeah, um, cool. So when winding down our conversation about your book, um, um, so, uh, you know, I brought up our our collab chat book, (laughs) Heaven is miserable Now, which we did a launch for at that Italian restaurant. Yes. (laughs) Miriam Gerba was there. She wrote a salty review where I, she did not laugh at my jokes, and that's okay. Um, but speaking of music, if Eat the Mouth That fits You had a soundtrack, maybe what were the songs you were listening to at the time? But what if you could accompany it with, like, a mixtape, playlist,
2: digital? What would be in there? Yes. Um, woo. So I really listened to like moody things, dancy things, basically anything that I think would go well, like at a backyard, like baptism or quinceanera party, um, like, like what would the tias get down to, mm-hmm. you know, she's there in her leopard print, like she's ready to party. I'm thinking like for vicious ladies, like, like lookout weekend, um, yes. you know, just like, that's where she lets her hair down. Like that's where she dances. Um uh I always wanted like for for me, like party or like dancing or like getting in a groove. We always have to have like sonora dinamitas escandalo. Also, my like nine-year-old loves that song. So it's like escandalo. And it's like you're ready to like mop the floor or you're ready like to get into your writing groove. Like, let's get some work done. Oh, um yeah. I love it. Or then there's the other like side of it is like, okay, like the moody Bauhaus, like the Donnie Darko soundtrack on repeat. Like, I'm just like moody mom, dark goth mom going to this Target and I'm gonna play, you know, like some New Order or like some other stuff and Bella Lugosi's dead. And I'm like, you know, like I just get like into this zone and that's also a productive zone for me. So, whether it's like your vamos a trapear mode, let's get to work, or like my moody like goth mom mode, where I'm just like sad, you know, and like enjoying it, and enjoying it, and like don't talk to me. But what what would you say? Like that sounds like good cheese mail over there.
1: Yeah, you're like wait, I will interrupt my my emo mood to hear you. Yeah. Um, I love all of this. Uh, dark goth mom going to Target. (laughs) (laughs) Fala Lugosi is dead. It's a jam. I'm sorry. Right? Um, the goth kids in high school were the ones who were, like, at the anti-war protest. They were vegan, and I was like, wow, you were, like, super, like, punk in these ways that I didn't know you could be. And they were the coolest dressers. So anyway, shout out Um, to all those And there
2: were like some queer kids. Like that was my Uh first exposure to like queerness being okay. And I don't know. I just have a different perspective of the world without like my, my oddball, like gothy friends from middle and high school, you know? Yeah.
1: With their monkey boots and their girlfriends. And you're like, Oh, gay too. The the (laughs) gay cholos really did it for me. I was like, Oh, Oh. the arena and I was like, Oh, this is what's happening. So there's the Cholos putting money in a faux Rocio Dulca dress. like I love it. This is the world opened up uh, on Santa Monica Boulevard for me. <laughs> but um, oh my God, beautiful. So in wrapping up, what are you gonna be listening to for your next project? I don't know if you're thinking about that because you know, you're still like on your journey of this book. Like, what are you listening to right now, maybe.
2: Yeah. um, What am I listening to? I I think right now, literally like in my head, I have too much like Cristiano Nodal because the baby loves Cristiano Val It's really weird. (laughs) But that's not what really gets me going. I I don't know why I'm like in this like new order mode. And I I listen to Age of Consent because it's like dancey. Yes. And I just need like energy. Like I just need like some flashes of bright energy to like get me activated and out of this like pandemic funk. So um, yeah, Age of Consent. If you get the chance to listen to it, you should. It's on YouTube, you can listen to the whole album.
1: Mm-hmm. You don't have to buy it necessarily, which mm-hmm. that's amazing, right? Like um, you don't have to sit at the radio and with your cassette tape player waiting for the song to come on to press
2: record. Like, you don't have to do that anymore. I oh, know. Oh, I remember that. No. But like, dang, I, re- I ran out of space on my tape. I'm just going to record over this other song. Right. <laughs> and
1: then you're like, dang, that was a good song. And now it's gone forever. Songs are not gone forever now, folks. You can find them in the world. Age of Consent. Okay, great. Exciting. Um, what am I listening to right now? Um, I, uh, so I, I'm in an Aztec dance group, which is actually, uh, Danza Azteca is actually Danza Chichimeca. Just mm-hmm. P.S. Um, <laughs> the Aztecs do not rule the world. They are not everything. There are other indigenous nations present in Mexico today. Alas, I'm learning to play the mandolina and under the Milky Way is on the mandolina. So I'm learning to play what? That's so cool. emo songs on my Aztec dance instrument. Mm-hmm. So that's my hot girl summer. <laughs> I love it. In a bikini somewhere. Um, Caribbean, I'm so excited for this book and all the attention it needs to get, and everyone needs to read it. Go out and buy a copy from City Lights Books. Also go buy a copy of East of East from Rutgers University Press and k 12 chapbook of really beautiful poems from Eohippus Labs. Gadi, thank you for
2: being here today. Thank you so much. Thank you, Vicky. Thank you, everybody, for joining us. Let's go get some boba.
1: (laughs) Okay, thanks, everyone.
0: So ends another episode of Libros Schmibros, recorded at the bilingual, nonprofit Libros Schmibros Lending Library in Boyle Heights. By all means, follow us online in all the old familiar places, or email us via info at libroschmibros.org. By the way, we couldn't do this podcast without the whole Libros team, Klatemok, Colleen, Diana, and Alberto. And all of them would kill me if I didn't add this. Please consider visiting libroschmibros.org hitting the donut button, (laughs) the donate button, and giving us a gift. We put good free books into people's hands five days a week here at Libros, right across from Mariachi Plaza, up in the old Boyle Hotel. I'm David Kippen, and there'll always be a free book for you, and thousands more to borrow here at Libros Libros.